Hello friends, this is Andy Bannister. Thank you for downloading and for listening to Pep Talk. We are a wholly listener-supported podcast, and we'd love to have your support to make it possible for us to continue to produce episodes. You can get behind the show by visiting solas-cpc.org, that's solas-cpc.org, and click on the donate button. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Christy and as ever I'm joined by my wonderful co-host Andy Bannister. Andy, hello. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing well and, and wonderful. That's fantastic. The uh, the checks and the posts. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Yeah, doing well. Getting sort of steadily rained on uh, up here in uh, in Scotland, but that's that sort of half of course. <laughs> that's really difficult. And we well, we are actually joined today by someone who's very bright and sunny, and I'm really delighted actually that um, he's able to join us today. And that's Tony Watkins. Tony, hello. Hello. I don't think I've ever been introduced as bright and sunny before. <laughs> You are though. Gosh, we all go way back, don't we? And then whenever I think of you and see your face coming up, it just fills my heart with joy. I'm really, really pleased that you can join us today. Just by uh, that's a great pleasure. Thanks. Uh, well, just by way of um, introduction, you are. I mean, I've got your bio in front of me. <laughs> Basically, you do everything. But to put it into uh, into a short sentence, you are a speaker and writer on media, culture, and the Bible. Does that about sum you up? Yeah, under normal circumstances, it does. Um, yes. <laughs> normal circumstances oh. being non-pandemic times, because I, I don't seem to do much speaking these days. Yeah, well, apart from now. So um, yeah, we're absolutely. glad that you're speaking to us. And you're based in Southampton, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've been there a very long time now. Gosh, how long have you been there for? Oh, I dread to think. Uh, I, 37 years, I think it might be. Wow. Yeah, you wouldn't think I was old enough, would you? No. <laughs> Well, we 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 were not going to say a word because that that way that way pain lies. So uh, we're, we're not a uh, we won't start by by insulting exactly. you, um, Tony. In that in that in that bio that that Christy read there, she talked about culture, media, um, the Bible. I guess for some people, it was minds. Those those things don't go go together. You know how does sort of culture and media, you know, film, TV, that kind of thing, and the world of the Bible kind of fit together? How do do those things belong together? Like, obviously, do in your mind. Um, how does that work and how can that help us perhaps think about communicating into culture? Big question, I know, but hey, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they, they absolutely fit together. They, they can't not fit together uh, because, well, fundamentally, if we think about the, the nature of the Bible itself, uh, this is God's true, perfect, authoritative revelation. But that is given to us through the words uh, and even through the personalities of human authors. It was revealed at particular times in particular places. Uh, every bit of the Bible is um, absolutely immersed in its cultural context. You, we, we, we can understand the Bible pretty well just by, by reading it, but if we want to get some of the, the nuances of what's going on there, really understand what God is saying, we have to, to make allowances for for the fact that Paul or Isaiah or 
whoever is writing in a very different world. And we need to think about what these place names are and, and the, the customs and the culture. And so, so the scripture itself is embedded within culture. So we can't get away from culture. We are c- created by God to be cultural beings. That the whole business of culture, which I tend to define as, as human beings, um, uh, understanding, interpreting, um, their world, developing their world, relating to each other within, within the world. Uh, so that whole business is, is an expression of the image of God within us. The whole business of culture comes out of being God's people. God reveals himself within culture. Jesus comes in the incarnation, comes in to be a human being within culture. So there is absolutely no way we can ever get away from culture. And of course, we live in in a very particular culture we live in wherever you're listening to you know i'm i'm here in 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 south coast of the uk it's 2021 we have particular things within our cultural environment to think about pandemics and what's going on in the media and all that kind of stuff and and if we need if we want to be faithful disciples and effective in mission in the culture we are now we need to think how do we understand that and how do we understand that in relation to what God has already revealed himself in other cultures at other times? That's a, you know, you, you, it's a complicated process when you start getting into it. Hmm. How, how do we actually go about understanding that then, Tony? Because I imagine that um, some of us might be thinking, or the next question is, well, isn't it just about articulating the pure gospel in that, you know, yes, there are, there are these kind of times and places at which um, these people lived and, and, and they wrote and they spoke and, and the incarnation and everything. But surely doesn't the, the gospel kind of transcend those categories? So when, we, when we're talking about engaging with media and, and culture, for example, aren't they just two separate things? Uh, obviously, there is a, a very profound sense in which the gospel transcends uh, any time and place. But if if God reveals himself in history and through history, uh, God has somehow chosen to make his revelation not transcend time and space. It, the, 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 Jesus comes in the line of a particular people, a chosen people who God had dealt with over a couple of thousand years, um, not because there was anything special about them, but because they were God chose them to be his his means of revelation to the world. Jesus comes as the, the culmination of that. He is the true Israel, uh, and he comes at a particular time and place. So, so it, even I mean, Jesus, of course, transcends time and space because he's eternal, and yet he limits himself to within it. We are thoroughly stuck in it. Um, and I, so I, I feel the appeal of saying, yeah, we just, we just get on and preach the pure gospel. But... How do we do that? And, and what does that actually mean? I think it's got to mean that I find ways of being faithful to Scripture, but expressing the gospel in ways that my friends and neighbours can understand. Um, John Stop, uh, kind of riffing off Spurgeon, really, used to say that we need to um, listen to both the word and to the world. Uh, riffing off Spurgeon saying we should uh, read the Bible, we should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other or, or something to that effect. Uh, and, and Stott used to say we should listen to the, to the word and to the world. We don't listen to them in the same way, 
we listen to the word to sit under its authority. We listen to the world in order to understand what its hopes and dreams and aspirations, what its hurts and fears and and brokenness are, so that we can apply scripture, we can apply the word intelligently and sensitively and powerfully into the situation where that person comes. So even if we want to preach the pure gospel, if we're talking to one of our friends, we we will particularly home in on those aspects of the gospel that speak to them and their particular circumstances. If their world is falling apart, for instance, then we may want to point first to to the to the the comforting nature of uh, of God that that it's possible to go to Him and and to discover peace. Uh, ultimately, that peace is through the cross. But um, but but we may we may be stressing that aspect in, a, in another context. We may be stressing God's holiness. So we we will always we will always pitch our, our message to to our audience. Um, and if we do that on a one to one level. I think we need to do that on a on a wider level and think in terms of how do we how do we pitch the gospel how do we present the gospel faithfully but in a way that resonates in our particular cultural context. Hmm. I think one of the things that uh, has struck me Tony and you've uh, you've talked about this as have others is that you know when we listen to the culture like you say as often you find sort of points of contact mm. in surprising ways I and mean, obviously you know Paul does this in the book of Acts, famously in Athens, uh, the speech of the Areopagus. But in our own culture, sometimes you find those those points of contact in, in unusual places. And uh, one of the books that you're kind of well known for, um, I mean, 16 years ago, you, you wrote oh. it, but it's as relevant as it ever was. Um, your uh, your book, Dark Matter, a thinking fan's guide to uh, to Philip Pullman. And, uh, you know, Pullman um, is sort of, sort of comes and goes in terms of, you know, his profile. It's, it's grown recently because, of course, the BBC have been readapting his uh, his dark materials uh, novels. I know some Christians would take a look who know Pullman would go, you know, angry atheist. And they're quite anti-Christian, quite deliberately trying to write an alternative to the Narnia stuff, allegedly, and, and do a very sort of different view of reality and fantasy and so forth. But I know other Christians like yourself have gone, well, hang on a minute, even in Pullman and even in things like that, you can find kind of points of contact. You can find, find ways. And how does that, how does that work uh, in, in practice with a, with a cultural product? But perhaps at first glance, you might go, gosh, what, what on earth do we do with this? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pullman is, uh, as you say, well known for being a, uh, not just a strong atheist, but quite an outspoken atheist. Though he, he does say quite strongly again and again that his, his beef isn't with with God. He doesn't believe God exists. I mean, he says, I, I, I see no evidence of God. Uh, I'm, I'm not persuaded that he exists. But his his issue is not with God or the idea of God, but with religion and the misuse of power within the religious world. Um, so uh, he, he does insist on that quite strongly, but he does seem, does feel like he's attacking God sometimes as well. Um, so the thing is that, that Pullman, like every other human being, is made in the image of God. And that is a profound truth that however much he wants to set himself up in rebellion against God, nevertheless, there is something of the image of God still within him that expresses itself through um, a desire for truth, a desire for goodness, a desire for beauty. Those are fundamental things that are part of being made in the image of God. And so when he writes, he cannot help himself but to express um, 
particular ideas and values that are con- fully consistent with a with a Christian worldview. So he he values, for instance, has puts a very strong regard on truth, courage, self sacrifice, moral responsibility. Um, he interprets those in a particular way, of course. He doesn't see those within a Christian framework. And and if you suggest that these are actually fundamentally Christian values that he's kind of riding on the coattails of, he, he gets quite stroppy and says, why do you beep Christians think that you have a, a right to all the values in the world? He said, can't, can't people who are atheists have be perfectly decent, good people? And of course they can. They can be as moral as, as any Christian and so sometimes they put some of us to shame. Um, so it, we're not saying, I'm not saying that, that you cannot be moral as somebody who is not a Christian or who is an atheist like, like Pullman. Of course you can, but it's where those values come from. And Pullman is, is very much writing out of a tradition of having grown up in the UK. His grandfather was a Church of England minister who he respects extremely highly, says he's the biggest influence on his life. Um, and in fact, Pullman describes himself as a, as a particular kind of atheist. He says, I'm a Christian atheist because that's the God I'm reacting against. Um, more to the point, I'm a 1662 book of prayer, Church of England atheist because that's the world that I grew up in. Um, and he cannot get away from using that kind of language and some of those kinds of ideas. Uh, he is also in the, the great tradition of English literature which is so thoroughly immersed in scripture that however hard he tries, he's never going to get away from that altogether. But he doesn't try. He's very happy to engage with explicitly religious ideas because there is this longing innate within him to to find what we might call transcendence. He, he, he longs for for something above and beyond the physical world. He insists that this world is all there is, that there ain't no elsewhere. And yet he keeps having to smuggle back in within his fiction stuff that is not part of the ordinary physical material world. So so there's magic. Um, there's there are there are angels. And now those the, the angels in his literature are a particular kind of angels. They're not what what we when when we talk about spiritual beings, we mean beings that have no physical nature at all. Whereas the angels in his world are just very thin. They're composed of these particles of consciousness that are actually kind of like subatomic particles in, in a sense. Uh, but he particles of consciousness is interesting, you see, because there he's smuggling back in this idea of of a godlike force because this all of these particles of consciousness throughout the universe kind of collaborate together and guide people within the fiction within his dark materials they they can they can control things they can manipulate circumstances they can lead people it's a very godlike thing um and he has to smuggle this in in this kind of way because he has this deep longing for god and yet he rejects the idea that god is there so I, the, the, Somebody like Pullman, however hostile they are, their their ideas still are rich with possibilities for making connections. How do you think we we go about 
making those connections. I mean, you wonderfully picked up on the explicit religious ideas and transcendence and consciousness. And I'm just thinking if, if we're listening to this and we're just thinking, wow, I've, I've never thought of Pullman in this way before. There are so many kind of points of contact and his writing is so rich. Um, and it might not be um, his dark materials. It, it might be um, a different kind of um, cultural piece or, or film or series or whatever. But how do we go about um, exposing these religious ideas um, with our friends mm. in everyday life? What would what might that look like for us? Uh, at the most simple level, looking for those points of contact and points of tension. Um, so, where is there a where is there a resonance with the gospel, and where is something in tension with the gospel? I think that that's at, at the most fundamental level. That's what we're trying to identify. Um, we don't want to disagree with everything that somebody says because, well, when they start talking truth, we don't want to disagree with them talking truth. Um, so points of contact, points of tension. Um, but I, I think three useful questions is what kind of, or three useful questions are rather, sorry <laughs> about my slip of grammar there. Sorry about that. Um, can't have that going on, even even when it's spoken. Um, you encourage me no end, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my everyday verbiage. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the quality is slipping. Uh, um, <laughs> Lockdown, eh? Yeah, so three three questions. What? How is the world being viewed within this television programme, this film, this book? What, what kind of understanding of the world is there? How is it imagining um, the world to be where does it see the goodness in it where does it see the brokenness in it that kind of stuff secondly what is this um book or film television program whatever within it what is being loved what is admired uh, what is hated and what is being completely sidelined um and on, on that third thing what's being ignored it's um it's kind of are there, are there elements of the gospel or, or elements of, of what we believe to be reality because we have a Christian worldview that has just been left out of the frame altogether? So you read, I've been doing some work on uh, Douglas Coupland the last few days, Canadian um, writer, came to fame in 97, I think, with his book Generation X, which defined the term Generation X. He, he invented the term and uh, has written something like 20 novels since. Uh, and, and in that first book, Generation X, it is an entirely secular world. His characters make no reference to God. They live in, um, in a world where he just does not feature. You get a few books on and he's starting to bring in very explicitly the idea of God, uh, in particular, famously, The End of Life After God, which was his fourth book, I think where he says, here is my secret that I tell you with an openness of heart. I doubt I'll ever achieve again. My secret is that I need God. Um, and, and there's this longing for God coming out. But in that first book, it's just not there. So so the whole spiritual realm, the spiritual side of reality, it was being ignored by him. But he loves, there are things that he loves, community and, and so on. There are things that are clearly being hated. You can see this with Pullman. He loves truth and self-sacrifice, as we were saying just now, he hates power being misused. He hates religious authority um, and he ignores um, a basis for his values. And then the third key question is, how is this, this book, film, television program, how is it imagining a better world? You know, what, do, what do they see is necessary to make the world a better place, to make life 
more fulfilling, to make society work better, to make to deal with the brokenness within me, those kinds of things. So, so how is the world being viewed? What is being loved, despised, or ignored? And and how is a better world being imagined? That's uh, that's fantastic um, practical advice, Tony. Well, I realize we're almost at the um, at the top of the show, almost at the twenty minute mark. And you know, as you were you were talking there, I'm reminded of a of a, of a story um, I was uh, told once by a friend who's quite effective kind of you know evangelist in the workplace and I remember sort of talking to to him about how you know how he was reaching out to colleagues and he said one of the things he'd found actually was um you know for a long time he tried you know you know having sort of christian mugs or wearing a christian t-shirt and stuff and it achieved nothing but then he found actually taking interesting books as he put it mm. you know into the office you know pullman you know screw tape letters was about the most christian he ever got and just leaving those lying around yeah. his desk started conversations people say oh you're reading that and then just like you were saying, he'd found the way of going, yeah, and what, what interests me about that book is this. And he said he had far more, you know, achieved far more gospel conversations with sort of books and novels and, and so forth than he ever did, you know, trying the more blatant way. And uh, I wonder if we missed something actually in all of this and what you've shared is then very helpful. Mm. Oh, I think I, I think with, there's so many opportunities. Everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, everything that we read has has potential for doing this kind of thing with it. Um, I, I think there's rich possibilities that we are really not making good use of. Well, Tony, you've given us lots of uh, food for thought in terms of how we go about that. Um, really grateful for uh, taking time out of, uh, I know your busy schedule, uh, to uh, to talk with us this afternoon. And uh, so once again, thanks, uh, thanks for being uh, our guest on, on Pep Talk today. That's a great, great pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, for all of you listening at home or on the road or wherever you are, you take your podcasts. Um, Christy and I will be back uh, with another episode of Pep Talk in two weeks' time with a different guest and different topic, and we hope you'll be able to join us then. Thanks uh, so much, as ever, for listening, and bye for now. Bye.